And this is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's still in the, uh, the um, coasts of uh, Caesarea Philippi, in the area of Caesarea Philippi, north of the Sea of Galilee. And he had called the people unto him with his disciples also. When he had called his, the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Amen. May the Lord bless to us this reading from his word. What powerful questions these are that the Lord set before the gathering of disciples and other followers uh, there this day in, uh, in this place where he was with them. These are questions which it ought to uh, cause us to, to, to pause and reflect upon when we hear them spoken. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Often when we um, listen to the news or watch broadcasts or read newspapers, whatever it might be, these days that we use as the vehicle for our information, we encounter the passing of the rich and the famous, the celebrities, the pop stars and the TV stars or the politicians, the leaders. We wonder about all that they've attained in this world, all that they've accumulated in their life. And we think perhaps they've done very well for themselves as far as the accolades of the world is concerned. And then we are brought face to face with a question like this. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And we're going to pause for a little while today and think about some of the implications of these questions. And I've, I've got, um, I've got a, an introduction and then three points that I want to draw to your attention from uh, the, the passage before us. The introduction goes on a little bit, so I'll let you know when it's finished. And um, uh, there's, there's a couple of different strands in the introduction as well. So uh, I'll try and keep you abreast of where we are in our thoughts today as we go through these few verses. So in the introduction to this thought today, 
I just want to, to point out something which is, is pretty obvious but worth stating, I think. The Lord is not making this a discussion about whether or not we have a soul. And nor, I trust, will we. We have a soul that is everlasting. And we have a soul that is answerable to God. After this life is finished, our soul will continue and God will hold us accountable for the things that have been done in this body. Our soul is the breath of God within us, by which we live in this world as personal, rational, individual creatures. So uh, we find in the creation account of mankind in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 these words and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And having become a living soul, our soul is immortal. It doesn't die with the death of our body. And yet, the soul, if it is separated from God, if it is separated from fellowship and communion with God, is likened to a lost soul, a soul that will be judged by God. And that judgment is likened to destruction. But it is not an annihilation. It is an ongoing destruction in a fire that never goes out. So that we read um, the Lord Jesus Christ warning men and women that the cost of the loss of our soul is more serious than the death of our body. Men and women live in this world today and they, they endeavour to do the best for themselves. And that's understandable and indeed in many ways it, it, it is commendable. If they look after their bodies, if they look after their minds, if they look after their, 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 their uh, um, well-being. But they fail to look after their souls, which is much more important than this body and the things of this flesh. The Lord tells his disciples in Matthew chapter 10 verse 28, Fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't forget God. In all of the getting, in all of the going, in all of the accruing, in all of the building up that we do in this world, don't forget the Lord. The Apostle Paul tells us that there is a judgment coming upon sin, which he calls 
the righteous judgment of God. And this is what he says of it. The righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil. That's in Romans chapter 2, verses 6 to 9. And the old prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament scriptures tells us, God says, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. But the message of the gospel is that there is salvation for the souls of men and women in Christ, by whose blood forgiveness and deliverance of sin is available. The psalmist says, For the redemption, Psalm 49, For the redemption of their soul is precious. By which redemption, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, them that believe to the saving of the soul shall in their whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that while there is a wickedness, while there is a culpability, in the fallen souls, the sinful souls of men and women, there is by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the shed blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ the Saviour, a redemption to be had for sinners like us. Such a redemption that will render us blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thought that is. So I say to all of you who hear me today, flee the wrath that is to come. There is a great divide in this world. It's not about what we can get in the flesh, in the body. This is a divide between heaven and hell, life and death, destruction and salvation, tribulation and peace. May the Lord be gracious to us. May the Lord save our precious souls this very day by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I wonder if you realise that the answer to those questions is nothing. There is no lasting, enduring peace in the property of this world. This world will pass away. This world must pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but our souls will continue. Either in the bliss of the presence of God or in the torment of his presence without a saviour. There is no price that you can pay 
to buy your soul. There is no work that you can perform. There is no trade that you can make. No exchange is possible here. So let us take these questions seriously and let us think about what the Lord is telling us here today. So that's the introduction. And now I'm going to see if I can just point three things out to you with regard to these questions which the Lord uses to direct his disciples and his followers and us with them in the way in which we should think of him. And the first thing is this, that following the Lord Jesus Christ, which is what the Saviour is speaking about here. He says, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So following the Lord Jesus Christ is primarily a spiritual experience. It is the experience of faith and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot follow the Lord Jesus Christ but by faith. And so it is a spiritual experience that we are talking about here. Today, we rather presumptuously look back on the disciples with a critical eye and we wonder why it took them so long to grasp the things that Jesus was telling them. Things, for example, that like that his kingdom, the, the, Jesus' kingdom was a spiritual kingdom, not a physical, earthly kingdom. And that his rule was to be a worldwide rule in the hearts of men and women. And not an earthly empire centred on Jerusalem where he would rule the world from. And right to the end, it seems as if the disciples could not shake the idea of this physical kingdom. Do you remember uh, the, the, the day that the Lord rose from the dead? He met two of his followers on the road to Emmaus. Luke chapter 24, verse 21 um, they, 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 they are of Luke chapter 24. Um, they, they were talking about the things that had happened in Jerusalem and the Lord drew up beside them and he, he went with them on the way and he, he was listening to the things that they were saying. And this is what they told him. They said, we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. After the Lord had been crucified, after the Lord was risen from the dead, these disciples, these followers, still held this view that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to reign in Jerusalem as a Messiah over an earthly kingdom. But I wonder if we would have been any different. I said we look back rather critically on the disciples, but I wonder if we would have been any different. Because is this not what we talk about so often in this battle of flesh and faith? This, this preoccupation that we have with the 
the time and the world and the things that are material around about us that that causes anxiety and and fear and and weigh so heavily upon us and and there's so many distractions to us is this not the same thing as the disciples had to deal with the idea of a spiritual kingdom the idea of a body the church which was Christ's reign and rule in the hearts of many men and women was unlike anything that had ever been seen in the world. And that's not to say that the church did not exist in the Old Testament. It certainly did. And the Lord had his elect amongst the Old Testament peoples as well as the new. But it was hidden. There was not as yet a fullness of the revelation. And the patterns of thought, even of believers, were fixed on David's past glory and the immediate things of the world around about him. In this case, as far as the disciples were concerned, it was the Roman occupation and domination of the known world at that time. And that's what they compared things with. And also there was a veil over their eyes. It's not that these men were unbelievers, but their understanding was not yet full because the gospel revelation was still not complete. There still was more to learn. Despite the the frankness and the openness and the clearness, the clarity of the Lord's words, we find that there was still more to understand. The prophets of the Old Testament had preached a worldwide gospel, but they had been rejected out of hand. They had been misinterpreted and misapplied because the message that they they spoke was received too narrowly by the people of their age. And still today, even with the benefit of hindsight and the explanation of the apostles and with what is sometimes called New Testament eyes, And the unfolding history of the church and the fullness of the revelation which has come by Jesus Christ. We still, you and me, we are still overmuch preoccupied with matters of time and flesh and physical evidence in every part of our lives. It's hard to live by faith. When every urge of our flesh is to live by sight and to react to our physical circumstances, the physical world around about us. And yet to follow Christ is spiritual. That's why the Lord said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. He was being taught the same lesson that following Christ was a spiritual experience. This is what the Lord Jesus was explaining to the disciples and and, and others here uh, in in the uh, coasts of, of Caesarea Philippi. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The disciples sought glory in an earthly kingdom. But the Lord was pointing them to the sacrifice that needed to be made for his 
heavenly kingdom here upon earth. And that's still the, the, the life and the understanding that we have today. We have to follow the Lord spiritually as part of his heavenly kingdom here upon earth. And the disciples were learning that this would be a costly path to follow. There would be sacrifice. There would be shame. There would be hurt. There would be trial. Then the Lord taught his disciples what it means to follow him spiritually. So our point one today was that following Christ is a spiritual experience. Point two is what it means to follow Christ spiritually. Following the Lord Jesus Christ spiritually, of course, isn't physical. The Lord Jesus Christ is in glory now. The God-man is in glory, seated at the right hand of God. We, we don't walk about the countryside after him like these people were doing here in, in the Gospels. But following the Lord Jesus Christ is standing for Christ. It is standing for his gospel. It is standing by faith. It is believing and trusting in the things that he has said and the things that he has done in this present evil world. That's what it is to follow Christ. If somebody says they're a follower of Christ, then we expect them to be faithful to his words, faithful to his testimony. Now, as, as we've been saying, I, I suspect these disciples had ambitions of, of glory and honour when the Lord Jesus Christ would be revealed as Israel's promised Messiah. But little did they realise that their own labour was just about to begin when the Lord's work came to its end. We do not work for our salvation. God will have none of that. Salvation, the work of salvation was completed on the cross when our representative and our substitute stood in our place, condescending to bear our sins, stooped to carry our sorrow and died in our place. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are fitted with the righteousness of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. But the Lord's people are saved to serve and to follow and to express their gratitude of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we are called to. And we do our service and our following and our thanksgiving by honouring the Lord and his gospel with our service and with our testimony. We testify to his grace and his glory by the things that we do and say. And sometimes that testimony will be expensive. Losing life for Christ's sake and for the gospel's sake was indeed the lot, the experience of the disciples. 
and it has been for others down through the history of the church. And it may still be for men and women who are followers of Jesus Christ today. But at very least for all of us, it is serving Christ with all we are and have as a token and evidence of our love and gratitude to him for what he has done for us. We said that we are saved to serve and follow and express our gratitude. And that service, that adherence to the gospel, to the Lord and to his gospel, and that gratitude to Christ is evidenced in the things that we stand for and the things that we profess. We believe in the sovereignty of God. We uphold and support the gospel of free grace and the effectual salvation of sinners by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the ground upon which we stand. That is the faith that we profess. We believe in total depravity. We believe in the complete inability of men and women to please God by anything that they do outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that it is impossible for men and women to discern or to discover God in any way, to exercise faith in God in any way, without first being quickened and made alive and given the grace of God. We believe in unconditional election. We stand upon this ground. We believe that it is God's sovereign right to choose some from fallen mankind to salvation while passing by others and leaving them in their sin. We believe that when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, his blood completely atoned for the sin of his people and that he redeemed the lives of all for whom he died that day on Calvary. We believe that all those elected to salvation, all those that were redeemed by Christ's blood, will in time, by the preaching of the gospel, be quickened by God the Holy Spirit, born again uh, through, through the, the work of the Spirit, and brought to a confession of sin and faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. And we believe that having once been saved by the sacrifice of Christ, no elect, redeemed or quickened believer in Christ will ever fall away so as to be eternally lost, but will persevere in faith to the glory of God who holds his people and his church in the palm of his hand. This is what it is to follow Christ. This is what it is to stand for his gospel. This is what it is spiritually to have faith in the work that Jesus Christ has accomplished. Christ and his gospel will be opposed in this present evil world. We believe it always has been thus. And to a greater or lesser extent it always will be. 
But by God's grace, we say with Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And then the Lord taught his disciples our final point today. That following the Lord Jesus Christ brings true lasting happiness and it brings honour. The honour the world gives is fleeting, futile and invariably false. We lift up those that are heroes one day and by the end of the week we've forgotten what they stood for. The honour that the world gives is fleeting. But God says, them that honour me, I will honour. We honour God in Christ by faith. Believing in the one God sent, in the salvation he secured, and the hope of glory that he promised. This is how we honour our God. Our service flows from that. Our service for the help of our brothers and sisters in Christ, for the extension of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, from the, for the support of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the upholding of the ministers of that gospel. Our service, our giving, our sacrifice in these things flows out of love and gratitude to God for what he has given us by the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't anything to do with law or legal obligation or duty. It is a response from a heart that has been touched by the power of God in such a way that we desire to serve him and glorify his name. The Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 12 verse 26, if any man serve me, there's that word service, if any man serve me let him follow me and where I am there shall also my servant be if any man serve me him will my father honor I wonder if we could speak to Peter and James and John and Paul today right now and and ask if they feel as if they missed out on the on, on the honour, the glory that they had mistakenly hoped for in those early days of the Lord's ministry when they thought it was going to be an earthly kingdom in Jerusalem. I wonder if we were to ask them if they felt that they missed out in some way. I think they'd say, not at all. Not at all. This was far better. For all the work that had to be done, for all the service that was given, for all the miles that were uh, walked, for all the, the, the preaching that was done, for all the suffering that was endured, for all the disappointment that was incurred. This was far, far better. What will it be like on that day when the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. 
It's the last verse of our little passage here today. What will it be like on that day when the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his holy angels? What a day it will be. Will Jesus be ashamed of us when he comes? Not at all. He will gather the people whom he loves. He will reveal us as we really are in our garments of pure white. He will cause us to shine like gems in his crown. And he will bring us in honour into his father's house. Why? Because we trust him. Because we have faith in him. Because we love him for what he has done for us. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 says this. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church, will I sing praise unto thee. Amen. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us today and encourage our hearts in them also.